My name is Scott Chaloner and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. Now, as regular listeners of our programme will know very well, part of our mission here at the Leaders' Council is to bring you a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. And to this end, I'm delighted to welcome Jill Bausch onto today's show alongside me. Uh, Jill, welcome and thank you for joining us on the show. Thank you, Scott. I'm delighted to be here on this grey but happy day in England. Yeah, and it's my pleasure welcoming you onto the programme as well, Jill. And just for those listeners that may not be familiar with her, she's the Director of International Search and Leadership for SRI Executive, founder of her own coaching company, Vivepoint, and author of Why Brave Women Win, Creating Your Path to Confidence and Power in the Workplace. And that is a book that provides stories and tools for women who want to tackle imposter syndrome, improve their confidence, levels and really show their authentic selves and achieve success and fulfillment in both their personal and professional lives and it's one of those first points there imposter syndrome that we're going to be talking an awful lot about on today's program um jill it is something that affects uh, pretty much everybody isn't it to an extent uh, but what actually is it what would you define imposter syndrome as just to begin with yeah, thank you, Scott. Now, I, the book is called Why Brave Women Win, but imposter syndrome affects, as you say, everybody. It does disproportionately affect more women than men. Studies will show that. And in fact, the recent Harvard Business Review article showed that 95% of Fortune 500 CEOs had elements of, of imposter syndrome, and that is disproportionately more men. What is it? Well, so what it is is that feeling like, oh, am I really quite good enough for this job? Sometimes people tell me, I'm a coach as well, and uh, sometimes people tell me, oh, I might get found out that I'm really not the right person for the job. That might be feelings of uh, focusing on more of what you feel you don't know rather than what you do know. Uh, And and so it it creates stress and anxiety when a lot of it could could be avoided. Yeah, and um, given your background as essentially um, a talent management specialist, uh, having worked in international organisations as well and as an executive coach, I mean, have you sort of felt that you've ended up battling with this uh, with this plague, this condition yourself as well throughout your career at all? Yeah, uh, yeah, I really did. And I think that's how I learned uh, how to address it myself and it helped me help others. So when I was, uh, I was working in the private sector and I, I, you probably know a little bit about the fact that I went from the private sector to the public sector um, and I was working marketing luxury hotels and I had a big job running around the world sitting in presidential suites and feeling like after a while it was great business, but it wasn't, it wasn't filling me up very much in the heart and the head. So I, I, I got a great opportunity to be taught by the British government uh, in, in women's health, sexual health, to address the HIV AIDS epidemic, which was at that time raging throughout Africa and Asia. And, and, I, and, and I, I, I trained in that. They trained me and I went, I completely changed my career. And it was super fulfilling in many ways. But what happened after that was I was offered a CEO job to run a company, an organization that worked all over the global south in, in these areas. And I thought, wow, they've given me the job, but I don't think I have the knowledge, the creds. And so I was very much affected by imposter syndrome. Yes. And if it's something that we feel that we're struggling with, can we essentially look out and think that, oh, actually, this is something that is actually something that isn't just affecting sort of little guys like me, but it's also high performing people that are having to confront this, isn't it? So do you have to sort of accept the fact that this is almost a normal thing to be confronted with rather than an abnormality? 
hope it's normal. Normal is a word I don't often use because I'm not really sure in our world what normal really is. Mm. But is it usual and is, is, is it acceptable? I think it can hold people back, uh, if I can put it that way. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I, I'm a big believer of you know, building a toolbox in your head. And so I had to build my toolbox on how to fight against this. Uh, and and there, are, there are a number of different ways that, that work for different people. I can offer one or two to your listenership if, that's, if, you, if you'd find that of value. But I'll mm. throw one out now. And if you want more than one, then you'll let me know. But for me, when I was faced with it, I thought, okay, well, I have to be really honest with myself. What do I know? What don't I know? And I need to really be straightforward to, to the, the, the global board chair who was my boss and say, you need, if, if you want me in this role, I'm grateful to have it. But I know ABC, but I don't know DEF. I'm willing to give the time to learn it. I'm willing to hire the people that know how to learn, know it. And, and, and I had a wonderful, wonderful boss and mentor at that time who said, look, we'll, we'll give you the time off work. We'll give we'll pay for you to get the training you need. And so I was quite upfront about it. And that reduced it for me because I knew they were in it with me to help me overcome the things I didn't know. Uh, I think what happens often with more women than men, but also with men, is that women will see a role profile that says, look, for this job, you need, you know, 10 things. And, 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 a, and a woman will see it and say, I have eight or nine of them. I better not apply for it and go for it because I don't have the 10th. Mm. And, and we can talk about why this happens, but more often with the men that I talk to and coach, they'll have seven or eight, and they'll say, I'm going for it. I'm going to learn those other two or three things. And I, I actually think more women should take on that mentality. If you're smart, you can learn. And the other thing is, if you get that job, you didn't get it by accident. You got it because a group of professionals like me and in my headhunter role have, have evaluated you and rigorously put you through the hoops these days. So you deserve the job you have. You don't have to know everything. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it's accepting, isn't it, that you're not going to be hired by mistake, certainly into a, yeah, a high profile role. And um, I found it really interesting, Joe, what you said about the fact that um, even if men don't have all 10 sort of requisite qualities in that anecdote for the uh, the job and they still go for it. Why is it you feel that maybe women kind of hold back a little bit more and are maybe a little bit more susceptible to that? Yeah, it's a great question and one one that I noodle around a lot and have for years and years. I think there's a lot of our society that creates uh, these situations where uh, men are, are are put forward to achieve and accept they're going to achieve, and that and again I want to keep saying this is not an anti men book at all. Mm. It's a I, it's a pro man. I have a male partner and sons, and I love men just as I love women. It's not about that, but I think our society can make women less confident in their abilities, in the way that we bring them up. And also the lion's share of the keeping of the house, keeping of the kids, um, but also the pressure to have a big job. The lion's share of those two former things are, tend to be women. doesn't mean there aren't great women, men that, that, that do their share. There are. But I think all of those put pressure on women and they think, ah, can I do yet another thing? Can I learn another thing I need to know? Uh, because I'm trying to juggle all the balls that I've got now. So society has a lot to answer for. But I think we can we can change that by, by encouraging women, giving women better and, and not just better, but more role models. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, a role model that is relatable to women 
is somebody mm. that they can really gain inspiration from, isn't it? I mean, you you, you see a lot of male role uh, male role models out there, of course, uh, because it is mm. something leadership position certainly in the business world. You hear a lot of sort of traditionally male dominated industries, and we've seen a lot of progress, of course, in bringing women into leadership roles in um, in various sectors now. But again, it's yeah. only been going for the last few years, really, hasn't it? So I think that sort of lacks that sort of longevity in female role models and women role models that people can look at there. Yeah, I think that's true. And, and women that I uh, that I speak to, I speak to a lot of very senior women around women around the world because I, I I I'm lucky enough to be able to do the headhunting for the heads of the UN agencies and international organizations. And it is it's it never stops surprising me that very very senior, well accomplished women will tell me, "Gosh, I, I I'm I'm not sure I really ever should have gotten the job." But often they also tell me to follow on from what you're saying. They say, "I don't have the confidence that I'd like to have. How can I get it?" And, and I say, well, you know, they say, can you, can you teach confidence? Can I learn confidence? And, and on the topic of role models, one thing that I say is, is I think you can teach yourself confidence. And one way to do it is to think about your world and think about somebody that you admire, the way they present themselves, the way they speak, the way they, uh, their demeanor, uh, how they come across. And just think, I'd like, I'd like to come across a little bit like that and mirror that. Uh, and if you mirror it enough, it builds your own confidence to be that way naturally. Uh, and people will say to me, well, isn't that faking it? And I'll say, no, it's not faking it. If you keep trying to emulate the person that you admire, wh- whoever that role model is, your neighbor, a TV personality, you know, your, 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 the radio announcer, someone like you, Scott, then it'll come naturally to you and, and then it, it will be part of you. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose just going back to uh, what we were discussing uh, just uh, before that, I mean, if we do away with things like the proverbial glass ceiling, let's say, and we bring more people that these women can relate to into leadership roles, so when they're sort of elevated into a certain position, they're seeing more people like them, it's going to fundamentally make them more comfortable, isn't it? I think it is. And and again, I am astonished at how many senior women say, I don't really have a role model. I talked to somebody very senior in a pharma company this week that I was coaching and I, this topic came up and I said, find a role model. She said, I don't have one. I said, you don't have one. You don't, you know, can, can you not find one? So your homework between now and the time we talk again is look around the world close or, or far distant, you know, it can be Michelle Obama or it can be your next door neighbor, but find one whom you admire and, and you will find if you, if you look. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we've talked about um, the things that people should do when sort of confronted with imposter syndrome, you know, look for role models and try and sort of teach themselves confidence, reassure themselves that they are where they should be. Is there anything Mm. else you feel that would be a good thing to do for somebody looking in the mirror and actually confronting imposter syndrome head on? Yeah, I think, and this is directed toward your female listenership as much as anything, because there are times in women's careers that we've done studies and we know that they drop out when men don't. And and one crucial time is a, a woman who is going up the ladder or, or on a trajectory to do very well in a role, whatever industry or business. And in that kind of mid-30s time, they often drop out. And, and there are obvious reasons and some maybe not so obvious reasons. But one of the things that I think women can do is recognize that might happen because you may have the pressures. We all have the pressures at the same time, don't we? Often many of us have, you know, you're trying to build a home. Maybe you're seeking a partner. Maybe you're getting married or partnering up. Maybe you're thinking about a family. All of this happens you know, often in your 30s, you know, early 40s. And you also have the pressure to achieve. 
So it's a time when women can say to themselves, uh-oh, I got to get ready for that. I got to get my backups if I can. I'll come back to something I, I love is called a reality check buddy, but I'll come back to that in a second. But if you know that's going to happen to you and it converges all at once, often women will say, okay, I'm going to step back. I'm, I, I can't cope with all the pressures. I'm going to focus on maybe my family. That's fine. But am I going to have a way to get back into the market? And sometimes women miss that window. Um, and, and that's when they need the role models. And, and, and I, I think that they need to be prepared for that in advance. I don't think very many women are. Yeah, that's a, that's a really important point, actually. And there's a couple of key things to take from that. It's sort of missing that window to be able to sort of get back into it when they feel ready. But also, I think there's a lot of merit in the uh, the taking the step back approach just in and of itself. And I say that just because since the uh, the pandemic, certainly we've talked an awful lot more about sort of mental health and well-being and the need to recognise when things are getting a little bit too much. And I think yeah. that imposter syndrome can almost spiral to the point where mental health and well-being becomes compromised, can't it? Because if we feel that, you know, we're not good enough for this role, I think we almost overwork ourselves to try and prove to ourselves and those around us that we are good enough for that role, even if we don't need to. And we take on too much, we overburden ourselves, we burn ourselves out, and ultimately that leads to sort of a very long, dark and winding road, doesn't it? So there's a risk there. Yeah, it really, it really does. And, and when that happens, I, uh, people will say to me in, in my interaction with them, whether it's coaching, headhunting, whatever it is, writing, um, they'll say, well, what can I do about that? Because all these things are converging. And, and I say, well, one thing that, that I, I like is a not to-do list. Mm. So uh, people have so many to-do lists. They're either killing themselves, strangling themselves, sucking their own air out of their environment because they're adding everything on there. And for some reason that we don't yet understand – Women feel that they're better people if they do more. And, you know, they they do the school run. They look great. All the personal upkeep. They you know, have a lot of pressure from society on that. They, you know, they're great mothers. They then go to the office. They, you know, they run the business. They, you know, they're caretaking the staff as well. Uh, and, 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 and. Men are doing some of that, but maybe not as much of that. And so I like a not to do list. And I say to, I say to some people that are suffering from this, you know, I say you're, 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 you're completely flooded here. What can you take off the list? And they'll say, you can't take anything off. And I'll say, but if you could take, what could you take off? Because if you think about those things that people just pile on their to do list, somebody taught me something a long time ago and I always remembered it. They said, is this thing going to matter a week from now, a month from now, a year from now? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is no, then get rid of it. You're not a lesser person because you did fewer. In fact, in my view, you're a more effective person and a person with more confidence and stability if you do fewer things and maybe better. Yeah, that's exactly it, isn't it? I mean, it's it's quality rather than quantity, isn't it, in that sense? It's making sure that, you know, the tasks that are priority that I can complete to the best of my ability, I can complete and I'm not overburdening myself with volume. Certainly when some of these things maybe, as you say, aren't going to matter in a week or a month's time, it's I'm prioritizing me, my time into doing the things that are important. And there's, there's, there's a lot of merit in that. Yeah, I think there is a lot of merit in that. And I think one thing that, you know, you mentioned pandemic and post pandemic and, and one of the things that troubles me a lot is what we hear a lot about when we read a lot about it is this quiet quitting concept Mm. where people are just, they're carrying on. They're doing their what what they have to do bare minimum, often working from home. But their heart's not in it anymore. And and you know when we when we go to apathy, we've got to make a change. And and you know too many people spend too many months and years in their life in a state of apathy. 
And, and that doesn't serve anything. I mean, we're not making the most of however many years we've got on this planet. So my view, my view on that is when you're sensing you're apathetic, not just a day or two, we all have that. But when it goes on for a period of time, that's the time you have to say to yourself, wait, I need to make a change. I don't know what I'm going to make a change to. But if I, I don't, maybe I don't have to see the whole island before I step off. Maybe I just need to, to make some phone calls and do some networking and, and, and think about some other things to do that will bring me some more fulfillment than I'm getting now. Yeah, this is important, isn't it? Because fulfillment and sort of progression pathways are two of the key reasons as to why we're seeing a lot of quiet quitting, isn't it? And people mm. are a lot more aligned with purpose now. Um, after the uh, the pandemic, they're making sure that you know that they're working for businesses that are aligned with their values, that are sort of considering them as people and their well being. And if sort of from the leadership point of view, you're not sort of aligning with that, and you're not showing that this is a priority, I mean, you're going to lose out. So I suppose in this sense, this almost is now. Yeah starting to feed into almost risk management for businesses isn't it because retention is so important when recruitment is uh, such a difficult thing right now yeah i mean we're doing a lot of work in our talent management work we're doing a lot of uh, uh, answering a lot of requests for future scenario planning involving risk and and i think something else that you're you're alluding to is you know we read a lot about the great resignation well i don't call it the great resignation it's the great migration. People aren't just stopping work. They can't. And nobody can afford to. Well, few can, but that's the, the very few. But what people are doing, I think, and, and if anything good came out of the pandemic, is it made so many people reassess, actually be, be faced with perhaps the end of existence. We all had that moment, right, in the dark of night when it all hit. And, and then and then they got to thinking over these times of being locked down, is this what I want to spend my time doing? Is this my legacy? Is this what I want out of my life? Is this what I want to look back and say I did? And a lot of people are looking at themselves and saying, no, I'd rather go run a flower shop. I'd rather go, you know, open a pet daycare, whatever it is. You know, it, they're, they're all good for the community. They're all good for you. They're good for our economic uh, seen overall. So whether it's a VP for a you know multinational or whatever it is, if it if it sustains you economically and gives you more fulfillment, I think it's really something to think through and and do that migration. Yeah, absolutely. And we talked about sort of the value of sort of taking that time to reflect on is this what I want and. Um, and obviously that ties into imposter syndrome as well doesn't it step back reflect Mm. look in the mirror and essentially look at your role models look at yourself and realize that you know you are good enough you are the one for her for that role and uh obviously having talked about how we kind of reflect upon it when it's something that we're confronted with um just something for sort of the leaders out there that might be tuning into this um is there any telltale sign of being able to tell when one of your peers is perhaps actually struggling with this problem that might be good to point out yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to use a word I used a minute ago. Um, I've been a CEO, as you know, and when my people start feeling and seeming apathetic, mm-hmm. I want to be really tuned into that because something's not right there. I don't mean the bad day, the, pro- the you know, the proposal you lost. I mean, continual apathy that mm, I don't really care. I think that that's a real sign. And the other thing I would say is, um, I'm a big believer in, and in, in, in not just me, uh, more and more big multinational clients are asking for us to do in, emotional intelligence assessments. And it used to be ah, psychometrics, so fluff, but now it's 
absolutely essential to get people that are high EQ. So they are sensing not only how they are leading, but also what's going on with others. And if you hire low EQ leaders, no matter how IQ, you know, intelligent they are, the, the studies are all showing that the better leaders are the ones that, that are high EQ and they can feel the people around them, whether they're really in it or whether they're just going through the motions. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting time for leaders, isn't it? As they keep an eye out for these signs and you know make the interventions where they're uh, where they're necessary. And uh, just thinking about the future, just before we wrap up, uh, Jill, if I may ask this question, uh, yeah, I was just wondering what some of your sort of personal sort of goals and milestones are going to be as you sort of help leaders sort of battle through this and really sort of chart their own course over the course of the uh, the next year or so. Yeah. Yeah, well, in my I mean, in my book, Why Brave Women Win, I've got a chapter on the successful habits of of of, of brave women and successful women, and one one of those is to is to give a bit of time where you can, uh, fifteen minutes of twice a week. Now, you can't give fifteen minutes twice a day because we can't. And, you know, I'm just as busy as you and a lot of people listening are. But I think if we can pass on some of these confidence building comments to others that ask us. And almost all of us are, I, I get notes every day from people saying, would you give me 10 minutes? Would you give me 15 minutes? And, and we can do that. We can build that in. That's a gift we can give, a pro bono gift that can change the lives of others substantially. And I feel like we all have a, rep, a responsibility to do that uh, if we want to help others. And, you know, in a, in, a, in, a, in a world full of pain, why not use your power for good? Exactly that. And it's something we're incredibly passionate about here as well at the Leaders Council, you know, sharing knowledge for the uh, the benefit of others and really helping sort of chart that road to success. And uh, certainly for people tuning into the uh, the show today, please do go and check out uh, Jill's book, Why Brave Women Win, Creating Your Path to Confidence and Power in the Workplace. It's covered plenty of the issues that we've uh, that we've discussed on today's show. And uh, just to remind everybody, if uh, some of the things that we talked about do particularly resonate with you and you want to ask a question or leave a comment with us, uh, you are able to do that. You can do so via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash contact hyphen us and if anything is directed to Jill of course we'll forward that directly on to her and uh, if you would like to bring your own perspective directly to the discussion table and speak with me on this matter or any other topical issue that's relevant to you you can apply to her to be on the program of course as well and that would be via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply for now it has been my immense pleasure welcoming director of international search and leadership for SRI executive and viewpoint founder jill bausch onto today's show and jill thank you ever so much for taking the time to join me and uh, i'd love the opportunity to perhaps welcome you back onto the show again in future and we see just sort of where we're going and uh, maybe there'll be even more to talk about then that is my great pleasure endlessly fascinating and fun to talk to you thanks so much for inviting me i've thoroughly enjoyed it jill and thanks ever so much again for your time and i do hope that everybody listening in has thoroughly enjoyed hearing from jill today and um, as always i've been your host scott challoner on today's episode of the leaders council podcast talking all things imposter syndrome and well-being and until next time we'll be back with a whole new perspective on leadership and current affairs please do take care all and goodbye <laughs>